Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 10th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and I'm joined today by weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, it's Friday. It's the end of a long week, and we have one more show to do. Let's dive into the news and start off with some discussion about Gal Gadot's latest role. Brad, what is the former Wonder Woman up to next? She is going over to Disney, funnily enough, um, even though she's uh, very secure over at Warner Brothers as the DC Comics character Wonder Woman, she's going to be signing up to head, or she is signed up to head into the animated world uh, at Walt Disney Animation of Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, Today she was announced to have a voice role in Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, the sequel to the uh, hit movie Wreck-It Ralph, and in it she's playing a character who isn't too dissimilar from the one she played in the Fast and Furious franchise, because uh, she's playing a character named Shank, who is described as a tough and talented driver in an intense and gritty online racing game called Slaughter Race. Um, and the way that uh, Disney officially described how she gets involved in the sequel is that uh, Ralph and Vanellope uh, encounter Shank and her unusual cohorts when they venture to the internet in search of a replacement part for Vanellope's game, Sugar Rush. Shank, a tough-as-nail street racer, takes her role and her tricked-out car very seriously and doesn't like to lose. When Vanellope finds herself in a street race with Shank, her sugar rush driving skills are put to the test, and Shank is impressed. Okay. So it sounds sounds like an, uh, another cool, you know, tough female character, uh, kind of akin to maybe the kind of character that Jane Lynch played in the first Wreck-It Ralph, since she, she was a uh, commanding sergeant in the game Heroes Duty uh, from the the arcade. And so this is, uh, you know, another female character from a different video game who will likely, you know, uh, be able to maybe teach Vanellope some lessons of her own as far as driving is concerned. But obviously, since she's impressed with the little girl, too, you know, they might have a a little bit of a bond there. And yeah, this is a pretty cool casting. If you look at the first look uh, photo in the article we have on Slash Film, um, the character doesn't look too dissimilar from what you might imagine a Disney version of Gal Gadot might look like as a badass race car driver. Uh, she's pretty cool. She's got some tattoos on her arm. She's got a leather jacket, and she's got some, you know, some misty eye shadow. 
uh, around her eyes. So yeah, she looks uh, pretty cool. So uh, I think it was yesterday that uh, a photo came out from Ralph Breaks the Internet of all of the Disney princesses wearing, you know, sort of like lounging around and wearing like casual clothes and stuff. And we had a, a big discussion about this. And I think HT, you wrote an article about it. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about? So, so I guess uh, set that up for people too. I'm, I'm, I'm springing this on you at the last minute. Um, but I, I think because you wrote the article, you can probably handle it. So just like in, in general, what are your thoughts about Ralph breaks the internet right now? And then what does this casting of Gal Gadot do to your, uh, your perception of the movie, if anything? Well, my perception of a movie so far, ever since I saw the trailer was that it kind of seems like an empty corporate I don't want to say cash grab, but it seems much more transparently corporate than the first one did, which seemed much more of a nostalgic throwback back to arcade video games. But because Wreck-It Ralph, oh, sorry, not Wreck-It Ralph 2 anymore, (laughs) Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, takes us into the Internet and uh, has a lot of just sort of nods and uh, very clear homages to, you know, fun Internet I don't know, memes and websites and everything and also tons of logos and brands. It feels very much in the vein of um, the Emoji movie, which I did have to watch for a column that I wrote last year. (laughs) So, um, which is not a very um, flattering comparison, but that's kind of the impression I've had from it from the first trailers and also from some of the images that have been coming out, which seem to be really teasing the whole Disney corporate uh, synergy of it all yeah, so and like especially the, the yeah. one yesterday like showed um you know like characters like i think anna from frozen was wearing a shirt that had a sandwich on it and the sandwich had text on it that said finish each others so it's sort mm-hmm. of like this cute little um you know call back to some of the lyrics from one of the songs in frozen and like all of the characters in that image uh because uh, wreck it ralph 2 or ralph breaks the internet uh i guess reunites all of the Disney princesses in one scene in the movie. And all these characters have these sort of throwback little pieces of basically merchandise. And we were talking about like, you know, Disney is going to start selling these exact copies of this. So I think that's sort of like for people who may have not seen the trailers or anything, that's sort of what you're, where you're coming from in terms of like the corporateness of the movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm the one of the biggest Disney fans. I absolutely adore all the Disney princesses, and I was I'm really excited to still see that scene, and I was really delighted by it in the trailer. But at the same time, like seeing them in that casual wear, which while they look really cute, and I would totally buy Mulan's entire outfit, it does feel like very much like corporate shilling. Like the Elsa Elsa's T-shirt was just like let it go, uh, in bold caps, and it was just like as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is definitely going to be on the Disney store. Uh, shelves Mm -hmm. as soon as this movie hits uh, theaters. So I think that there's an interesting sort of interplay going on there. Um, And I don't know what to think of it yet. I haven't seen the movie. So it's what I've seen based on the trailers. So, um, but yeah, I mean, with regards to Gal Gadot's character, I actually am excited to see her character because I think it is a nice little nod to Fast and Furious. And um, it does seem like 
Ralph Breaks the Internet is much more meta uh, in terms of Disney's uh, catalog of films, although they've been kind of leaning towards that more recently, even with Zootopia. So I think it might be fun, a fun little cameo, maybe. And I wonder if it'll be a little too meta. But at the same time, I like the idea of uh, Gal Gadot being almost like a Disney princess because Wonder Woman, in a sense, was uh, had a lot of those sort of similar tropes as well. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Brad, what do you think about this casting? Does this... Um, uh, I guess in terms of like your general feelings about this movie at this point in the uh, the marketing cycle, are you sort of on the same page as HT? And does this casting do anything to um, alleviate any concerns you might have, or at least offset some of them? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't quite. I know some people were a little bit more turned off from all of the like brands and th- uh, things that Disney owns that were in the uh, second trailer for Ralph Breaks the Internet. I wasn't though, only only because. Even though the premise feels uh, similar to that of the Emoji movie, this at least feels more clever and uh, it seems like it has a much more creative use of intellectual property as opposed to just making, you know, cheap jokes about, you know, stupid emojis. Um, but having said that, I, there's there is something that makes me feel a little weird with the um, that most recent photo that we just talked about with the Disney princesses wearing casual wear that will likely end up in Disney stores. It feels a, a little too much. Like Disney pushing their, oh, buy all the things from all of our movies, please. Mm-hmm. And granted, that's what Disney does all the time with every movie. They always have tons of merchandise for everything, you know, they release pretty much. This this feels like it might be a little too much in your face. But I, I kind of wonder if they release this photo today to show that, like, hey, guys, it's not just all us, you know, pulling Disney stuff out of, you know, our back pocket. We do have original characters that are interesting as well. So maybe they felt like they needed to show that. It wasn't just going to be a Disney brand, you know, festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm still looking forward to the movie because I really, really love the first film. And while I am a little worried about the uh, the over commercialization of the whole thing, I'm hoping that there's more to it that uh, and maybe this will just be confined to, you know, a, a 10 minute chunk of the movie or something. And then it'll be able to continue on with its story and, and not really get sidetracked with all that stuff. But uh, we'll have to see. I think that one comes out later this year. Um HT, let's talk a little bit about Dora the Explorer. A live-action Dora the Explorer movie is happening, and we now have a first photo to prove it. Tell us what's going on. So for some reason, news of this uh, movie has escaped my notice for the past year, I think, because Isabella Moner was cast as Dora the Explorer as a teenage version of the character uh, earlier this year in March. And now we have a first look at her character in the classic Dora the Explorer outfit. So a pink t-shirt, orange shorts, and a backpack. But this time, she's a teenager. So the new Dora the Explorer movie follows Dora on, uh, quote unquote, the most dangerous adventure ever, high school. But because this is Dora the Explorer, she finds herself on a, an adventure with Diego and a ragtag group of teens to save her parents and solve the impossible mystery behind a lost Inca civilization. So this is um, the character based on the beloved animated children's series, uh, Dora the Explorer, in which uh, we have an eight-year-old um, bilingual explorer named Dora who goes on adventures and teaches kids how to speak in Spanish and other such useful uh, knowledge. (laughs) So um, I've never seen this show. This was on but long after I was a kid. But um, I know that it's a pretty beloved property. Um, And yeah, it's it's just 
I didn't know that this was becoming a movie, and it's very interesting that they have Isabel Moner wearing the exact same outfit that the seven-year-old Dora wore. Uh, so, it really uh, looks yeah, like she's really she's wearing like a, a cosplay kind of thing. Like it looks like the the model for a Halloween costume, you know? Yeah, it does, and I can't help but think that this is going to become somewhat like the 2012 college humor parody have you guys seen that no. it was like the dora the explorer movie but it was a a sort of sexy reboot of the of the children's <laughs> show and it was uh ariel winter from modern family wearing like this exact outfit and doing and in an adventure with like and always speaking very sexily and everything and it kind of gives me the same vibes even though i know this is a serious film but i i just don't really know what to expect from this film so James Bobbin, who directed The Muppets, is directing this movie, which gives me a little bit of hope that it won't be <laughs> as bad as what I imagine that college, college humor skit is, because um, I really enjoyed the first Muppet movie, and I thought he did a great job with that, and, and that is also a property that, um, you know, had, had like a, a family-friendly sort of following to it, and I think he, he handled that material really well. Um, I don't know about this one... I'm not really familiar with Moner's work as an actress, but Brad, I know that you've seen her in uh, Transformers The Last Night. Is that correct? Yeah, and she um, is really the only one in that movie who feels like she's giving her best performance. And actually, um, she kind of gives a performance that's along the same believable lines as Shia LaBeouf in the original Transformers. And she really makes you buy into what's happening. Um, to the point that when I did my set visit for that movie, it kind of made me think, oh, they could totally build a franchise around here if this continues, because she's she's really good. Um, Mark Wahlberg at one point even called her Little J-Lo, um, <laughs> which, you know, is a, pr- a pretty good compliment, because Jennifer Lopez is a good actress in her own right as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not necessarily interested in a Dora the Explorer movie that um, that was well past my childhood years. I, I am more familiar with it because I do have a sister who was growing up around the time Dora the Explorer was popular. Um, so I know probably more characters than I should from that show. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys just hit on the head. It looks like a Halloween costume. Um, and yeah, I don't, I really don't know how this is going to translate to a, a live action movie with a teenage Dora. It just feels very weird. It is definitely weird. And you can see the full photo uh, at the article that we wrote on Slash Film. I'll link to that in the show notes as well as all the other stuff that we talk about today. Uh, let's move to our next thing. And that is that all of the Marvel Studios movies are coming to IMAX theaters uh, this year. Brad, tell us about what's going on with this. Yeah, so uh, as we know, this year marks the 10-year anniversary of the launch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It began with Iron Man all the way back in 2008. And even though this year already kind of had its big celebration in the form of Avengers Infinity War, Marvel still wants to do uh, something cool for the fans. So they're bringing every single one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, all 20 of them, from Iron Man through uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, will be coming back to IMAX screens over the uh, first week in September, and as including also the last couple days in August. Uh, for the first few days, they will play every single movie in the MCU uh, in order in the order in which they were released. Then for a couple days, they like pick some random movies to show, like Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Spider-Man and Guardians 2. And then for the last two days of what they're calling the, the Marvel 10th Anniversary Film Festival, the uh, viewers, or fans rather, will get to vote on which two movies uh, air on the final uh, day of the, of the festival. 
So how do people uh, actually participate in that voting? Do you know? Apparently, um, Marvel and IMAX are both going to tweet out a poll on Twitter that will allow fans to vote which movies, two movies they would like to see on the final day of the film festival. Um, if you want the full schedule as to when they'll be playing between August 30th and September 6th, you can check out the article we have on Slash Film. You might be disappointed to see that the schedule is a little bit odd. They're basically playing four movies every day of the festival. Um, and they span from matinee showings to into the evening, with the exception of the final day when they're showing the last the two movies that uh, fans will vote on. So it's a little bit odd because some of the movies that you would probably want to see on the base screen again aren't playing at the most opportune time for people who have jobs. Mm. So it's a little bit frustrating. Um, but then again, we're talking about a film franchise uh, that has all these movies available on home video for you to watch whenever you want to. So I imagine they're not... Uh, looking to get tons of people coming to these screenings. Yeah, and that's the sort of the thing about this. Like, I love the Marvel movies as much as the next person, but this seems like like a little bit of overkill almost. Like, did, I think they, you know, a lot of theaters, uh, I think AMC and, and a few others maybe, uh, organized, like, marathons leading up to um, Avengers Infinity War earlier this year. So, it, and it's, I feel like that is, like, a pretty regular occurrence with, like, a lot of the major... Marvel movies, at least the Avengers ones anyway. Um, so it sort of feels like these movies have never been out of theaters. And like, you know, when, when you have three Marvel movies a year coming out, it's like we're constantly in Marvel mode. So I understand the <laughs> the desire to celebrate a 10th anniversary and like the incredible accomplishments that the MCU is, has uh, whatever achieved over the past decade. But like, <laughs> this seems like a little much to me. I don't know. Would either of you actually go out and see any of these movies in theaters? Uh, you know, if, if a theater right next to you happened to be playing one of them? The only two that I personally have a desire to see on the big screen again would be the first Guardians of the Galaxy and the first Avengers. Okay. HT, any any for you? Um, I mean, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I've, maybe I've been marveled out at this point. I've already seen all of them in theaters, and although I haven't seen all of them in IMAX, it would be be great to see maybe one or two in IMAX but probably not a marathon such as the ones that that took place right before uh, Avengers Infinity War in which people uh, documented those marathons in which they lost their insanity so <laughs> yes yes uh, all right so yeah that's just sort of a PSA for people who uh, who actually do care about seeing these movies in IMAX and maybe uh, might have a chance to uh, to get out and, and check those out uh, later this month and early next month so you can read more about the details of, of when they're actually going to be playing and Brad has a uh, he's embedded a, a photo of like the whole schedule and stuff um, on the site so you can check that out there uh, let's move on to our last news story of the day of the week of the episode and that is that Disney might cancel oh, we were just talking about Disney and, and Marvel Disney might cancel many of its non-family-friendly projects after the upcoming merger with 20th Century Fox. HT, what's going on here? So as the Disney-Fox deal uh, becomes finalized, which is it, um, the schedule for it to become finalized is sometime in early 2019, 20th Century Fox has been somewhat in limbo. Uh, it usually takes you know two or three years for movie projects to uh, go into production and be developed, but because um, of that more lengthy timeline that it takes to work on these films, the projects at, at 20th Century Fox have essentially come to a halt. And um, that's because 20th Century Fox is uncertain what the future of the studio will look like under the acquisition by Disney. Um, this is uh, from a lengthy report from Wall Street Journal, which goes into the 
sort of uncertain atmosphere that's happening at 20th Century Fox right now uh, as they await what will possibly be mass layoffs, cancellations of movie projects that don't fit the family-friendly brand of Disney, and even perhaps the dissolution of the 83-year-old 20th Century Studio Fox Studio altogether. So um, this none of this is confirmed yet, but these are sort of possibilities that could happen with 20th Century Fox once they are acquired by Disney uh, because we, we are um, going to see a lot of downsizing at the Fox Movie Studio, though not in their television department. So uh, the biggest thing right now is that um, Disney, when it takes over Fox's um, assets, it will likely take over its biggest film franchises, such as Avatar and X-Men, but scale back the production of costly movies that don't fit its family-friendly franchise-focused formula, according to Wall Street Journal. So this could mean anything from uh, that historical drama we heard about but with uh, competing Ferrari and Ford auto designers, or even young adult horror movies. Those uh, will pro- probably fall by the wayside as Disney tries puts. 20th Century Fox under their umbrella and tries to keep it in in line with their more family-friendly brand. So this, um, yeah, this, this is the biggest thing we'll see, as well as possibly even the, as I said before, this, the dissolution of 20th Century Fox altogether. Uh, it's unclear, according to what to Wall Street Journal, whether Disney will ma- maintain the Fox movie brand and continue to produce new movies under this brand or whether it will just dissolve it and um, keep its prestige division, Fox Searchlight, as well as the uh, literary adaptation center division, Fox 2000, which was responsible for this year's big hit, uh, Love, Simon. Um, so it's it's uh, all kind of in limbo for Fox right now. Uh, they're looking to see a lot of uh, mass layoffs before, as like I said, uh, and right now a lot of um, employees are also looking at other jobs, but Fox is trying to operate as it was before, uh, except it doesn't really know where its future is going to be in the next year. Man, that is very depressing. Um, All of this sounds like, you know, our worst nightmare when we first heard about the possibility of this acquisition and what might happen. And it seems like that is largely going to come true. I mean, as you mentioned, none of this is like fully uh, locked in yet, but if these conversations are happening at this point, um, it, it seems pretty likely that, uh, especially a lot of those mid-budget um, movies that are sort of aimed at adults and and uh, not name-brand entertainment that that is like franchise fare, might just go away entirely. And that's really sad. That's the kind of thing that that we've been um, really dreading since this announcement first happened. Uh, Brad, do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, this is really worrisome, especially if they're going to, you know, really dig in uh, and get rid of the less family-friendly properties that Fox might have or movies that might have been working on. Because it felt like Disney was going to really let people at Fox kind of continue to do their thing and not really mess with that. And so that they can have, you know, still do Disney projects, but also still have the more adult, mature projects coming from Fox and Fox Searchlight and that kind of thing. And there have been talks of like letting some of those entities do what they're supposed to do. And I think that specifically there was a time when um, I don't know if it was Bob Iger or somebody else said that they had no intentions of messing with what like the, they were doing with Deadpool because it's a successful formula and they don't want to suddenly dull it down or anything like that. Um, so I wonder how much of this is maybe just concern on the part of the employees who are working at Fox who just think that maybe their projects will be Disney-fied, even though they don't necessarily know for sure what's going on. 
Um, you know, maybe there are some internal talks that that are sparking those concerns, but you know, it's tough to say until we really know um, more as the deal progresses and as Disney actually starts to take over Fox. Um, you know, when this all finally becomes a, a real thing, but you know, it's uh, I honestly, it, it kind of sucks thinking about the fact that we might never hear the 20th Century Fox fanfare if Disney takes over mm-hmm. and they don't keep that branding because like. You know, it's, it's even a little bit of a bummer going to see Star Wars movies and not having that fanfare in front of because when I used to listen to the soundtracks all the time when I was younger, they all start with the 20th Century Fox fanfare. It, it, it's always felt like a part of Star Wars. So it was weird to not have that when the new Star Wars movie started coming out. And so thinking about not having it at all is just, uh, it's yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, I mean, you know, there have been talks that, like, the, the entire Fox lot may end up being sold off. I mean, we, I, we talked about that, like, months ago on the podcast, and that would be, like, years away from happening if it does happen. But for, if that happens, and if the, like, the, the Fox fanfare at the beginning is taken away, then it's it's almost like erasing the history of this entire studio, which is, like, so profoundly sad. Um, it's like, you know, it's been around for over 80 years and it's uh yeah this entire thing is just sort of it bums me out but i mean the good news um as ht mentioned is that the the movies that are in production or complete as of right now um disney is going to release all of those but you know in terms of all the movies that are in development at the company right now those and and when the acquisition actually officially finally you know takes place i think disney is still waiting on like the foreign approvals for some of the um the transactions that they have going on, you know, some legalese uh, complications that they're still waiting on before they can actually like sign the final paperwork to make this officially happen. Um, but it's like all but certain that it's that that is going to go through, you know, just fine. Uh, yeah, like when that happens, if there are projects that have been in development at Fox for a while that don't meet Disney's standards, like those could either get buried or just sent away, and like maybe the you know hopefully they can. Uh, be put into turnaround or, or sort of like uh, sent off, you know, the rights will revert back to the the people who, uh, you know, the creators so they could take them to other studios and, and maybe make them elsewhere. But this kind of thing is, is uh, like I've said before, I mean, it's, it's basically like the, the nightmare situation of like removing a major option from the table for storytellers to tell their stories. And this is, uh, this is what happens. Well, I mean, yes, you're, you're probably going to see the X-Men in the Marvel cinematic universe, but like at what cost, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I hate, to, I, I really should have restructured the show. So this wasn't the last thing we talked about on, <laughs> on, on, on the Friday episode. Happy Friday. Yeah, what a bummer. Exactly. Heading into the weekend on a high note, but, uh, but yeah, that's where we are today. So I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, where can people find more of our work online? HC, let's start with you. You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBuoy. And Brad? Oh, I write at SlashFilm.com, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and also, I'm on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And you can listen to more of me on a podcast called Go Flix Yourself on iTunes and some other places where you get podcasts in your ears. Nice. Uh, my name is Ben. I am also writing at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the articles that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular 
popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com, and be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Take a second and help us out. Do that. It really uh, helps us in terms of visibility. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys on Monday.